Welcome back to the uh, Aerospace Executive Podcast. I'm uh, really happy to have uh, Michael Shader with me. Michael is uh, the CEO of uh, NowSight up in uh, Alexandria, Virginia. NowSight is uh, a data intelligence company. It's on the, the software side of the business, and he's helping basically companies understand the data that they're collecting, how to use it, and how to get better from it. Michael, thanks for thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, Craig. So talk about NowSight a little bit. You know, tell us about you know, tell us about what you're doing up there. And uh, I know I know you're big into warehouse distribution, pharmaceuticals, uh, a lot of other industries, and just got your PhD as well. Tell us oh. what you're doing up there. Uh, yeah, I got a few things going on. Uh, <laughs> for um, so with uh, NowSight for about uh, going on ten years, uh, we've been working to help companies of all different shapes and sizes. Uh, to make better decisions using the data they already have. I think there's a, there's a bunch of uh, both uh, you know, structural and cultural reasons why getting actionable intelligence from all of your systems is much harder than, than it's supposed to be or than people think it's going to be. And that's really what we specialized on is you know, how with the, the smallest amount of, of cost and effort can we help companies uh, focus on what really matters and and uh, yeah, move move the needle uh, using information they already have that is scattered or unusable. Um, how so are you? Um, how are you doing that? I know you know. I mean, obviously, you got big. You know, you got the big compl- the big ERP systems out there, the SAPs of the world, the Oracles, and then you've got smaller. You know, you've got some some smaller ERPs. How are you? How are you? How are you bringing all this you know data together? Yeah. So, uh, well, I mean, really, the the foundation of the of the challenge there, it's you know the fact that in 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 the real world, uh, every every large company has a has critical data in a wide variety of of systems. Uh, whether all those systems were put in place organically over a bunch of years, or they were cobbled together because the company grew through acquisitions, the or even if uh, a company has totally bought into a single stack like a, a NetSuite or an SAP, they've still got these issues of the, the the lack of interoperability at the the business logic layer i think over uh, the last several decades uh for a long time things got steadily easier right relational database in the 80s made it much more possible to interconnect systems and speak a common uh data level language and then apis uh helped in a in a way or uh, between that in the 90s web technology made it easier to actually do the kind of the communications the linking layer and then uh, APIs uh, built upon upon that and had success in certain niches, but really uh, at the semantic level of what do things mean and what is our common idea of what is a sale or a goal or a part, uh, those that progress has really stalled from my perspective. Uh, and it's because uh, it's because there isn't any perfect answer to it. And the, even for something pretty focused and defined, uh, you know, like a sale or, or a part um, is so different across different industries or across different companies that that getting that kind of commonality is you know, still pretty much a, a pipe dream. And then there's business reasons why software vendors don't really want their stuff to interoperate too well. Uh, they want you to buy their add-ons, not to have it be trivially easy for you to assemble a best-of-breed uh, system of systems. Our approach on it is you know, we attack it in in several different different layers. Most importantly, though, is what you're actually trying to accomplish of helping uh, you know, some clients come to us uh, knowing exactly what they want to solve. They just don't have the ability to make it happen. Others, it's a bit vaguer. They're, they just know that they could be doing better. They could have better insight, but don't. 
Uh, and so we, you know, using our, our in-house uh, ex expertise, will help figure out, uh, you know, what's the actual point of leverage? What are the, the handful of metrics that most matter or the parts of your processes that are, whether it's sales or manufacturing or distribution, uh, where the, what's the bottleneck, right? What is really holding you back? And then find a way to just, uh, you know, laser focus on that. Then the data side uh, is all just in service of that, right? There's no reason to even do any, uh, uh, to even um, capture or manipulate data except in the service of solving those business problems. So we figure out exactly which pieces need to come together often there will be two or three separate silos that it turns out are the ones that have to come together. Maybe it is uh, sales data from uh, an accounting system crossed with something from a CRM and maybe something from manufacturing or something along the, those lines. Picking stats in a warehouse combined with profitability data on individual items. And so we synthesize that stuff together and then we build uh, you know, reliable data pipelines and, and usable visualizations off of it. Uh, and that's that's how we really put all that stuff together and and help you run your business properly. What's the biggest challenge people come in? You know, what's the biggest people challenge people are, you know, obviously you can have all the data in the world. People drown in data. Uh, you know, what's the biggest, what do they come when they're, when, when you're, when they're banging on your door saying, Michael, help us. What, what, what are the biggest challenges you see businesses having right now? Um, I mean, I think the two, uh, as far as the kind of the eternal challenge with it, kind of the two baskets are one is one's on the it's on the the business leadership side of building that clarity of what you need to know to get to where you're trying to go uh that that is uh you know it is difficult some companies do great at it an awful lot of them though it's you know it's hard enough just keeping the lights on running now dealing with um you know customer and staff turnover and that sort of thing and it, it can be very uh, difficult uh, to you know, see the forest for the trees when you are embedded in in all of of that, uh, and then the other set is in uh, even for the the occasional company that does have a good grip on that and they can envision what they want, but it's so hard to make it happen. Uh, whether it's uh, your companies with well established IT departments, often will they'll do a great job with maintaining as in keeping things going the way that they are. Um, but there's, it's often difficult to uh, to get them to knit pieces together. The individual vendors are often not very not very helpful, uh, just because again, it's it's not really in their interest to make it easy to communicate amongst all these amongst different systems to bring it together. So it's kind of a uh, reach exceeding their grasp um, sort of situation. So I think those are the those are the two main two main kinds of challenges that we see on it. Uh, as far as as kind of you know, recent or, or or current events, there are there are certainly whole swaths of trouble that that have been uh, shifted or reduced by the big you know, the migration to cloud hosted everything, uh, and that helps with a you know there's a whole bundle of data center management issues that most companies are no longer having to really worry about. But on the other hand, you replace you, know, you replace those pro old problems with new problems around cloud security, around cost right. management, uh, and and so on. And it's uh, the centralization in that space uh, it, it within within um, cloud infrastructure, with you know really uh, AWS dominating, and then uh, Azure and and Google Cloud as as uh, uh, kind of secondary 
players in it, but but still, it is quite centralized uh, there, and so you're kind of at their mercy if you don't really dedicate the staff and experience to to uh, to, to managing it. Um, and of course, the big one uh, now is this application of generative AI, all these um, you know exciting new capabilities uh, with uh, GPT and uh, Bard and Llama and the and the cousins in there. Uh, is you know anyone who tells you they know exactly how this will unfold over the next five years or the next two years, uh, well, they're lying. They don't really know. No, no one. Really knows quite how it's going. Just that it's it is going to change so many things. Uh, but it, I think the biggest application of that, at least from the areas that that we work in or the kind of work we do, is it's going to starting to provide superpowers for technologists and business leaders who know who stick with it and and get smart about it. It's um, you know there is certainly an aspect of reducing labor or or getting by with fewer employees, but I think each savings there is swapped out by well your competitors. They're hiring smart people to actually orchestrate all of this stuff that now can be done automatically. And if you've only taken it as a cost savings opportunity, um, then you're going to get beat. So how's AI going to affect it? You know, how's AI going to move into the data management space? You, know, you talk about, you know, and, and how is it going to move into this, the logistics, the supply chain? I take it now site is probably big on the e-commerce. I, mean, I, I got to think that your 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 e-commerce companies, you know, are, are are banging on your door trying to figure out inventory levels, skew profitability, et cetera. So for, I mean, artificial intelligence in, in general, you know, in the last six months, suddenly everyone has started to use that meaning just the brand new, these, the, 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 the large language model um, approaches. But it's a longstanding joke in computer science that artificial intelligence is defined as what computers don't do yet, uh, that every time a, a uh, or that AI, less um, comically, AI as the research arm of, of, of CS that when approaches and technologies are developed uh, from the artificial intelligence research side, as they get adopted, they stop being considered AI, and then people complain that AI has failed. Uh, but, but so many things, relational databases, uh, object-oriented programming, web services, interoperability, those things all came out of AI, the AI side of, of, of things, the, uh, the semantic web all those started as, uh, well, the web itself, of course, all those things started as an a AI research that came on. So the one that is is you know fully embedded, uh, or the most recent one, I guess, over the last five years, maybe, to get fully embedded, it's the, the machine learning side of stuff that there is such, uh, such effective ways to look at historical data, and to find the patterns on it, and then look at what's coming in every second, and and make good projections off of it. Um, that's certainly been transformative in all those those spheres that uh, that that you were saying. So that's already happened, right? That's table stakes now. The exciting, uh, you know, the frontier with the the blossoming of the large language models, ChatGPT and such. It's the it's the way to work easily work with totally unstructured data with text. I mean, as you know, humans, we do send each other spreadsheets, but mostly we talk and write um, right. and email. And to be able to open all of that up for machine comprehension uh, is is uh, you know an amazing opportunity. Whether it's the you know um, the summarizing, the uh, pulling out of salient points, uh, finding logical holes in an argument, of being able to uh, to generate or to work as a uh, as an assistant, it's like. Uh, often compared to having you've got a you know a room full of very smart uh, um, interns in what a uh, um, co you know college majors in whatever 
thing you're looking at is it uh biology is it law anything and they don't they can't figure out what to do on their own but man they can sit there 24 hours a day doing it so what kind of things would you do if you had such a staff like you can't turn you don't just set them loose and expect great things you have to orchestrate what they're doing and to check their work and and carefully craft what you tell them to do but you do get this uh on a, for a marginal cost approaching zero so is AI going to be, I mean, look, everybody's scared of AI right now. I tell you, you turn on the news, AI could do this and AI could, it's going to be diabolical. And, you know, I'm, I'm like, people adapt. People have adapted throughout history to new technologies. Is is AI going to be the diabolical, you know, thing that everybody thinks it's going to be? Is it going to be a, is it going to be a big yawn? Is it going to be somewhere in between? Yeah. How, we, how is AI, you know, how, yeah, how are we going to use it moving forward? The, um, uh, it's really a great question. Um, I think, so what's funny is, uh, is that you know, we've had um, um, years of exciting science fiction and and action movies uh, where you know, usually the evil AI is embodied like a Terminator. Sometimes it's a little, uh, sometimes it's vaguer than that, like Hal in two thousand one. But one way, each of those are 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 I believe they're missing the boat, especially the especially the um, the Terminator robot kind um, kind of one. Uh, right. I think AI in those areas is is you know it's evolutionary as in it is being able to have um you know to have uh, uh tools or weapons uh that are you know more capable than the ones before then to have right. somewhat better ways to orchestrate and predict and, and and coordinate coordinate things but i think those uh those um exciting movie style threats um are are you know mostly not realistic um uh the um, comparison fictional comparison i've been running with is we'll think about the the ship's computer on the Enterprise in Star Trek. The ship's computer it doesn't even have a name, right? It doesn't. It's not a person. Right. We we don't treat it as a character usually uh, in most of the episodes. Uh, it's just always there, and it pretty mm -hmm. much knows everything that humans know, and it can think things through really fast. And you can interact with it very naturally, usually by talking, which is you know, helpful for television or the movie, but is also in in real life is potentially really practical. Uh, to be able to um, talk to whatever you, however you want to, and so I think that you know the enterprise ship's computer is really a great example of. I mean, that's what we are we in the I don't know, collective technologist sense. That's what we're working to build, and that's what we get steadily closer to is this always available, you know, unpersonified assistant who can help us do stuff and who has instant access to all the things that we wish we knew or could could remember. And is also uh, can go beyond just reciting answers, but also create stuff, give advice, assess uh, assess things, and most importantly, critically coming to, speaking to us in our literally in our own language, right? Of of voice interaction or uh, or uh, you know emailed exchanges and and that sort of thing. So so that's the main thing we're trying to build. And then the way to come up to think you know consider the da dangers of that. The biggest thing is well okay uh, you can you can go go find you can go find episodes in which the ship's computer uh, you know goes rogue or gets taken over or develops its own agenda. Those are things to think about over the longer over the longer run as as some people are. But but that kind of stuff is just not a that is not a next year or next couple of years kind of threat. The threat right now, the threat right now is is for bad actor humans to use these tools to manipulate other other people. So in that way, this is just the whole pro you know, problems from ten, over ten years of social media. It's those problems, you know, are they squared? Uh, they're certainly made a lot worse. Is it a step change? Are they exponentially worse? 
I'm not sure about that. It's it's uh, uh, it same as the room of interns who can help you with stuff. Well, it is also the same as your room of of uh, ten cents a day workers who churn out uh, you know churn out chats or trick people into sending their life savings yeah. that sort of stuff. So the yeah, automation of that that's huge. But uh, yeah, I remember. Look, I remember you know twenty years ago a guy sitting in a cubicle, you know, with headphones in, you know, just inputting data into spreadsheets and they probably paid, <laughs> probably paid him 10 bucks an hour. Now you can take a picture of the spreadsheet and just throw it in and it's done. Right. And right. Uh, yeah, you've, you've got the data. You just, yeah, you, you, you take a picture of it. You're, you the, the you know, banks, I know banks have been using AI for, you know, you know, or machine learning for, for quite a long time um, in their back office stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where, um, but coming back to you know coming back to the data side, are companies just drowning in the data? Or are they just un are they unable to use it? Or you know what's 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 going to be the future of hey look here's here's how to unlock and visualize you know what you have to be able to and, and use it in a uh, productive format. Well, I think uh, there's a uh, an, an old saying in uh, in in IT that's been updated uh, based on technology every ten years or so, but something along the lines of the the structure of your database or your web page or your system architecture uh, that this is just the truism that pretty much always always um, works out that way. Where if you have six departments, you tend to end up with uh, six different subsets, you know, six different data lakes or six different databases, six different ERP systems. Um, it's just the natural tendency of how as we we organize as best we can as humans. And so we end up uh, um, projecting that onto the systems that we build. And that right there causes the interoperability problems that we touched on on earlier, where you've got no way to bring together uh, to, together picking and stocking with sales profitability because those people don't even know each other, right? They're different sorts of people doing very different jobs. They have built different systems or bought them from different vendors uh, and you've got that that huge split. So I, I I wouldn't say drowning in data. Certainly executives are often drowning in reporting. Uh, and that's the big thing when I when I've heard pitches from uh, for Power BI or or other uh, you know, um, BI like visualization tool kind of competitors, what they'll brag about or the case studies they'll quote will be you know within a month of starting with us, the CEO had forty new reports uh, as a you know, new uh, new reports mm -hmm. being pushed to him daily. Like that sounds awful. Uh, that's the that's the last thing I want. Uh, is to have yet more yeah. stuff come, coming in. So I think that's where the drowning happens, right? It's not the organization, it's the individuals, especially the ones with important decisions to make who often end up getting this, this you know, huge array of stuff that is tangential to what they what they re really need. What are the, what are the, your clients, what are they telling you? What's the most important data? I mean, if, if they had to knock it down to, to three things, what do they want to know? I got to tell you, yeah, SKUs, profitability per SKU. Time to ship. What? Uh, yeah. What are they? What are they looking at? Uh, those are certainly big ones, right there. Uh, the it can. There are aspects of it that are that are universal. Um, um, you know, like exactly those. Uh, but there are also ones. Often, there's an at least an element of it that is totally specific, right? To this, to the situation there. Maybe it's it's uh, you know there's this one piece where we always had this one employee maintain that cross reference list, and they're gone. Um, and we've got to figure out what to, to do with that or the number of SKUs, you know, as we've expanded, it's, uh, it's just gotten unmanageable and we no longer have a good grip on 
on how it how it fits uh, how it fits together. But really, those it's that that crossing of the of the lines. Um, I think is is the tough one. I mean, to take a you know a um, stocking uh, versus profitability aspect on it. Uh, well, in theory, you would you know you would allocate effort based upon well what's most important to keep in stock. And by important, we mean uh, we mean profitable. As of right now, right? Not theoretically, uh, but rather right. the client, you know, who you're shipping to this afternoon. Um, and yet that's very hard. It's very hard to do system-wise because the tools don't accommodate all those things uh, together. So that's the kind of, of of stuff that we've been been pulling together. Um, right. Another one on a, a manufacturing um, example where we're uh, working with a client that, uh, you know, they're, they're you know, extremely smart, smart people. Uh, you know, an engineering centric or, uh, or organization been around for a long time, doing a great job, except that there's, they just haven't knitted together their, uh, their, their production pipeline with the, the customer relationship side of, of things. And so what we're building out for them is to pull together that data about, oh, well, here's the pricing and the terms and the delivery expected delivery dates. And to cross that with well, what's actually getting shipped out and what's the sequencing in there? And once we snip through all that, suddenly it exposes all these inefficiencies, places where they are you know, doing a, a great work uh, um, to hit a deadline for a tiny client uh, while letting another one sit there for an extra couple of weeks uh, unnecessarily, uh, one that is you know, 10 time, uh, you know, a 10 times bigger deal that's causing much more harm to, that, to the relationship. And it's just because none of those systems, neither system is built to, to help you think that way. Uh, again, that's, where, and that's our specialty. Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, that's got to be interesting. You know, using your, you know, you come back. You're like, all right, who is my most profitable? Who is my most profitable customer? Who is my most unprofitable customer? Mm-hmm. And I, I think about the guy who used to distribute, used to sell to Starbucks. Who eighty percent of his business was Starbucks, and he found out he was losing money on every on every <laughs> star every Starbucks sale. He fired Starbucks, and his profits went up dramatically. Yeah, his revenue went down, but his profits went up. <laughs> and 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 you, know, you think about the the amount of you know, the, the amount of data management, how does that happen in today's, how does that happen in today's world? Yes. I think another piece that, that there's a real, uh, that we've concentrated on that there's a real art to is a lot of the time, the, the, the insights that, that the, you know, a leader is looking for, um, it isn't about how to, you, you know, how to fine tune a machine or something like that. Those things are actually, you know, are fairly well covered. It's how does a sales leader in properly motivate and incentivize the sales force? How does a uh, production line uh, manager get the technicians to take care of the right things in the timely fashion and to defer the things that don't need to be done right now, that sort of stuff. So that's that's where the, um, the way I mentioned our kind of our, our three-layered approach uh, and the the integration amongst those layers is so critical, right? It's the answering the right questions with the right data and providing those answers with the right visualization and delivery, whether we're texting you every time the line goes down or we're sending you a daily, uh, you know, a daily email that is formatted to pop right up on your phone uh, with the critical stats that you need to worry about. It's that integration that is so key. Um, and again, that's another thing that makes it so hard because those are different specialties. You know, uh, you know, a few individuals actually have experience across those areas and and few companies are good at all of those things, right? You naturally tend to specialize in one. And then we're back to our original problem, which is the client company that 
is trying to solve problems has to then do this synthesis. It's exactly the thing that they don't know how to do either. Do you find that you know in you do you find that industries are pretty much data? Yeah, every industry has the same problems with the uh, data they're a, gathering. I mean, yeah, that's a fascinating question. Um, I think the answer is yes. I mean, one of the things that's been most most fun for me uh, in doing this has been getting to dive pretty deep into you know certainly half a dozen or more uh, rather different industries. You know, farm pharmaceutical, uh, med device, media intelligence. Uh, warehousing, uh, manufacturing, and uh, and certainly at uh, you know there are aspects that are all the same, and then you go deeper and you're like wow these are very different worlds and there's they vary based upon level of regulation uh, and you know how how shoot from the hip versus uh, careful thought through of a culture is it in in that in that industry. But under the hood, uh, as you're you're getting to, I think it ends up being very similar. Um, you know, fundamentally, it's that that challenge of you know identifying the real bottlenecks on what actually matters, translating it into motivation for whatever sort of people. I mean, the salespeople uh, tend to be motivated differently from engineers, motivated differently from warehouse pickers. But there's an awful lot of commonality in there un under the hood. Yes, you got to deliver the right modality, the right messaging. But ultimately, that's the that's the common challenge is, is turning all that data into how can you get people to do what you want them to do? So how much of it I, I hear all the time? I'm a data driven leader. I'm a data driven leader. I'm like, yeah, OK, are you really how much <laughs> how many of them are really data driven and how much of them are are emotionally? How many how many of them will, will look at the data that's right in front of them and go, yeah, but I'm like, I'm, yeah, the data is telling me this, but I'm going to go I'm going to go do something else. Well, I'd say, well, of, of our clients, pretty much 100% of them are are actually looking at the data, but that's uh, what they were thinking about in the first place and why they brought us in, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I think out in the in the world at, at large, I think there's an awful lot in the mushy middle or of doing just that that most, most human of, of things, which is to intuitively or emotionally decide and then go looking for facts to support it. Um, certainly, that's been my, was my experience in, in government, in the military. That was, that was certainly a common theme. So do you work, I mean, are you, I mean, are you, are you integrating with, you know, are you integrating with the big ERP systems and bringing them all together? And, uh, yeah, we work with SAP, with NetSuite, uh, with other ones along those lines. Yeah. And then you're identifying the gaps of the, uh, kind of identifying the gaps where they're, where they may be missing. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, and, and yeah, you know, I mentioned before about, you know, there's the, the, the most common situation. You have a lot of different systems because of the uh, you know, history or best of breed or whatever. Uh, but even the companies that are bought in on a single one, uh, will often, they'll, there'll be business incentives for that vendor to not do the things you're looking for. We did a bunch of work with a, a, a pharmaceutical, uh, a um, contract manufacturer of pharmaceuticals, and they have, uh, had a, a spiffy accounting, you know, top of the line accounting system that did absolutely everything, um, but it didn't answer the reports that it didn't provide the reports that they this that the CFO specifically needed. And mm -hmm. part of it was they had a a uh, you know somewhat uh, you know unique or unusual business model. Part of it was they were doing some rather sophisticated uh, from a financial perspective, some sophisticated ways in which they were slicing and dicing. The different aspects of the business, but ultimately there was, uh, the, um, you know, the uh, it wasn't supported out of out of the box. Uh, they talked to consultants, all said, "Nah, there's no way to do that." But, uh, right. but we did it. So yeah, so yeah, so there's still a lot of big there's still a lot of big gaps. How, I mean, what's the what's the trend? What's the future here? I mean, you 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 just got your PhD and and 
you know, uh, you get in swar- yeah, drone swarming. Swarm, is that uh, right? swarm, swarm robotics. Yeah, my my stuff is on how do you how do you get big groups of rather simple robots to do complicated things that you know useful things, uh, not just make a swarm or make a flock or uh, make a shape, but rather to do a sequence of steps like building a house. And how is all that? And and, and you know. What's the future? What's the future behold on all? You know, obviously, what you're doing with NowSight and how your your PhD, you know, your PhD in the swarm robotics. How do those integrate? What What do you see the future looking like? Uh, well, I think for me or for the world at large, but actually, I can answer at the same time. Um, I think the I think the integration of these different uh, trends and technologies is just going to accelerate um, exponentially. The combination of uh, you know, just as as uh, miniaturization of computing drove the development of cell phones, which then tied to the improved telecommunications, which then means everyone is connected all the time. Uh, but it also means then every you know every car, every tractor, every aircraft um, can also all be uh, connected all the time on this on the same uh, on the same nets. And then you layer in the um, autonomous decision-making ability that we are getting better and better at, at creating with, with the language models being a key part of that, but certainly not the only one. Uh, then I th- think all these things feed in together. I was just reading reading the other day about a uh, you know an um, autonomous of uh, uh, you know, basically a robotic construction system, a giant giant tractor that can lay out a field of solar panels uh, 10 times faster than than like a team of 20 people would be doing. It just goes out there, it bashes holes in the ground, it uh, um, you know sticks in the poles, another piece of it lays the, the solar panels on top of it, and it can do that. And then just think about the kind of the flywheel effects of all that. If it becomes so much faster and cheaper to put out those solar arrays, well, then you can have all this additional power collection, which is, of course, great from a bunch of climate change and emissions perspectives. But even aside from that, you've also accomplished some decentralization. You're no longer vulnerable to centralized outages, uh, whether, you know, whether by through, um, you know, human activity or, or, or natural accident, you, you have so made things so much more resilient. And then this opens up all kinds of further possibilities. No one, no one's thought of. So, uh, so all these things feeding on each other. Um, I think that's the, that's the biggest trend. And that's certainly the set of things that I've aimed my own, you know, is that, kind of is it evolutionary, is it evolutionary or revolutionary technology? When I look at, you know, cars talking to each other insurance, you know, because cars can talk to each other, accident rates go down, insurance rates go down. You know who, who becomes right, right. It's an yeah, an interesting uh, one. Um, I think um, I think this new uh, this current uh, blast of AI activity around the language models um, that's that's revolutionary. Uh, just as uh, mobile, as in everybody having a cell uh, smartphone and internet before that and PC before that. Uh, I think this is in um, certainly in that category of of um, of revolutionary change. Uh, and I'm not, I think it's not certain yet, but most likely it also, uh, the, this you know, new AI is also, in, it's in the ballpark with electrification and industrialization, those, those kind of, of general purpose technologies, um, as they're sometimes called. So the swarm robotics with the artificial intelligence and machine learning, there's a lot of, there's a lot of revolutionary stuff coming down the, you got it coming down the pike. It's exciting times. How do people get a hold of you, Michael? 
Oh, well, let's see. Uh, we are up at www.nowsite.com where you can see some of our, our case studies and interesting stuff that, that we're doing. And uh, I'm uh, Michael at nowsite.com, ready to uh, talk to anyone. Awesome. Thanks for coming on. I want to I want to have you back on because I want to talk about drone swarming and robotic technology in our next conversation. Oh, the really fun stuff. That would be great, Craig. Cool, Michael. Hey, thanks for coming on today. Hey, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Aerospace Executive Podcast. You can reach out to me directly, Craig at NorthStarESG.com, or check us out at www.NorthStarESG.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or on YouTube. Just do a search for Aerospace Executive Podcast. Thanks again. I'm Craig Pickett.